Hello, and welcome back to the From Page to Picture podcast, where we take you page by page and scene by scene through the film adaptations of all your favourite books. We are your hosts, Lucy and George, and this ep- this is episode 10, where we will be discussing Andy Weir's The, Ma- the Martian. The Martian follows American astronaut Mark Watney as he finds himself in a less than ideal situation, being stranded on Mars completely alone. Fighting the odds at every step of the way, Mark misuses wits and brains to find a way and make it back home. The Martian is a 2011 science fiction debut novel originally self-published by Andy Weir on his blog in a serialised format. It was received with plenty of critical praise, with Publishers Weekly saying that we are laced as the technical details with enough keen wit to satisfy hard science fiction fans and general readers alike, while Kirkus called The Martian sharp, funny and thrilling. In 2015, The Martian was adapted into film with director Ridley Scott and a fantastic cast, including Matt Damon, Jessica Chastain, and Sebastian Stan. The film actually became the eighth highest grossing film of the year, receiving praise for its direction, visual, visual effects, score, screenplay, and scientific accuracy. It was in fact nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay. So, clearly, George, those with the power at the Oscars think it's a good adaptation. I'm curious, do you think the book is worth the hype? Do you think the film is a good adaptation? What are your thoughts? I don't often have many thoughts, but I do actually have thoughts about this film. I I remember when I first uh, saw the trailer for the film. I, had, I didn't know it was a book at that point. I didn't know it was a book until a fair bit after I'd watched the film. Even though it says at the start of the film, adapted from a book. I didn't read the credits then. But I remember when I first saw the trailer for the film and I loved the idea and the concept. I was like, I need to go see this. And I watched it and I was like, one, I did not expect it to be that long. Mm. I was like, probably the longest film I'd seen in the cinema up to then. But then I watched it and it was fantastic. And then when I finally discovered that there was a book, I was like, yes, I can get more of this world. And then I read the book and it was really good. And I realised that the film was just did a really good job of adapting source material. Even though I feel like it's very much a book you can't mess up as mm. an adaptation because it's so already, so, you can already picture it as a film pretty much. What about you, Lucy? Yeah, I think that's interesting that um, <laughs> you watched the film and didn't know it was a book because I did the opposite where I read the book first before I ever watched the film and it was one of the first sci-fi books I'd ever really read and then when I found out it was a film I was the same I was like oh my god I'm gonna get to see like all of this stuff on the screen where like you know you try and picture it yourself when you're reading it but it's so much better when you can actually see what like his spaceship and his like area looks like and I think the film does such a good job of bringing that to life and the sci-fi elements of it to life I, I I do get that, but then when I was reading the book after I'd watched the film, I had a lot better visualization of what was happening mm. because I'd watched the film and I just sort of plopped the things from the film into the book. Like when they mentioned a certain character, like okay, that's that actor. And it's kind of like a weird contrast between when you watch the book or the film first because it's like, oh, uh, either it's kind of downgrading your opinion when you watch the film after reading the book because they don't look exactly how you wanted them to look mm. or uh, you're not really given that much imagination when you read the book after watching the film because you already have a painted picture of what they look like. 
Yeah, that's true. I think um, if like people are like hardcore book fans, I think they prefer to like imagine the characters as themselves. But like if you're a hardcore film fan and you don't read a lot, then I think watching the film before you read the book is a lot better because then you don't really have to use your imagination. I would never picture myself as Mark Watney because if I were to picture that, it would not be realistic at all. And I would have died on day one. Even when yeah. everything was fine, I would have just died. Yeah, I mean, he he has to go through some shit. He goes through so much shit and yet he somehow manages to stay alive. It is impressive how he, that man did not die, but it's more impressive how he didn't die in the book compared to the film because the book has a lot more let's say, shit for him to go through. And I'd argue probably a bit too much shit to go through. Mm. Because, like, it got to the point where he had the Pathfinder, he was talking to Earth, and then he had to start making his way to the Chaparelli Crater crater to go up. When I watched the film, I thought, okay, great, he's just there at the Chaparelli Crater now with no real issues. But then when I finally got around to reading the book... I was at first pleasantly surprised, like, oh, yeah, there's like an extra little segment of the book detailing his journey in more detail. But then, like, it kind of just felt that they were punching down on him because, like, he's already having a rough time. Yeah, but like a bit of nice time, the whole uh, him losing contact because he accidentally placed a, like a drill wrong and then him flipping his truck about two meters away from where he needed to be. Like, it's just, it was. It added a lot to it. And then also like the sandstorm thing. It's like I feel like it just kind of dragged it out, dragged out the poor man's misery to an extent. Mm. It does feel at some moments where you're like you're reading it and it becomes repetitive where it's like, okay, he's got a problem, he's fixed it. Next chapter, he's got another problem, he's fixed it. And it's like constantly like that. But I do wish like in the film we did see that traveling and the the flipping of it, because I think that's such a tense moment because he's so close. And then he just like completely shuts off and they're like, well, where is he? What's going on? I feel like that would, I, I, would, I wish we could have seen that in the film. I, I, I do agree. It would have been really cool to see that one bit because like one of my favourite bits of the film and the book was when NASA first discovers that Mark's still alive. Mm. And that, that like lightning in the model bit would have been really cool to see again of them just being like, is he dead? We don't know. And because they couldn't communicate with him, like they just have no idea what's wrong. So I thought that was like a really cool segment of it. But then it's already like a two hour, 40 minute film. So any longer and it would have been June. I also think like the, the fact that we in the film, we get to see Mark actually fix the problems visually is a lot better than the book I think one of the things I didn't really like about the book was the the scientific descriptions that went on and on for a very long time and I think watching him do that with just kind of like the music in the background or the like the hit like little bits of like voiceover that like Matt Damon does is a lot better and quicker than reading through like the science in the book yeah 100% well I do disagree to the extent that I did enjoy reading it. I thought it was quite well portrayed, the science of it. And like, it wasn't like I was reading a physics for dummies book. It it did come across quite well, but at points it just felt like lots of descriptions of scientific stuff I didn't really understand. But then in the film, it was just, you get to see him do smart stuff and you can just sort of blank 
and just tap your foot a little bit to the cool music. I do like how um, that although it's like incredibly like scientifically accurate, we also have like Max witty witty like dialogue and in both book and film as well, like that goes alongside that science, which kind of makes it like, yeah, it's really science and nerdy, but it's also really funny at the same time. I, I love him as a character because of how witty is in the face of all this like horrible situation. But I think, maybe controversial, but I think book Mark is funnier than film Mark mm. just because of some of the comments, like the whole thing about uh, uh, Aquaman talks to whales, but they're mammals. How does that work? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like in anyone else in this scenario would have gone like, insane ages ago I mean he probably is but in his own funny little Mark way and then yeah. like the whole thing being like saved by a gay rainbow that's probably not how it went but like he got saved by the god of rainbows like, that's what they named the probe and it's just ridiculous moments like that that kind of make it feel a bit more lighthearted, while also reinforcing like the tragedy of all that for the team and how like he was basically the heart of the team and they left him behind which I thought was really cool yeah, I 100% agree. I think Bookmark is so much funnier. Like, like when he tells the scientists to, like, fuck off at NASA and he just, like, switches it off. It's just so funny. And like, then when he's like, like, oh, look, a pair of boobies. <laughs> he's like, this is boobies. Whereas in the film, I think like, Mark is, he's funny, but he's also just really quiet. I feel like they kind of get rid of a lot of that funny dialogue from the book. I guess it's not the space, really. Um and have the music instead whereas like I think that's what makes you like Mark as a character when you're reading it like those dialogue bits absolutely like that's if it wasn't for that fun dialogue I feel like the book would have been a real drag in terms Mm -hmm. of just oh it's him in a horrible scenario it's him crying (laughs) it's him doing this next horrible task oh it's gone wrong again and it would just be quite a depressing read but because of how he's always staying upbeat it keeps it engaging and then it does make it really sad at times when he does lose a bit of that wit to himself when he's feeling really down about the entire situation which is understandable Mm, yeah I think like in the book we actually see him cry as well and like actually I think complain as well more than he does in the film which just makes him feel more like a real character I also like the, the the bits where he's like you know, today I'm just gonna have a rest day and watch TV all day. I've done, I've done enough. I think, especially like after the whole ice lockdown pandemic thing, like a lot of the themes and stuff in The Martian came mm-hmm. hit a lot harder than they did when I first watched it because it's a lot like, oh, he's by himself. Oh, he's got all this stuff to do, but then he has to take rest days and look after himself. And it's just like, okay, sure, we were at home with like a loved ones for, for some people at least we weren't on Mars but like there was a lot of he was a lot more relatable this time than it was before yeah I 100% agree I think it's that moment when he first sees his team as well <clears> and <throat> they're finally there and you can just see like the relief and the happiness on his face and just like I think we all were like that when we finally saw someone in person after like two years of lockdown I'm still actually yet to see anyone no one has let me out of this locked room oh no it's the start of lockdown please at least you're not on mars we don't know i could be on mars right now but i've just got a really good signal your background does look very red 
just a mower, like a mower's rover just comes across me and all of NASA is like, what the hell? From page to picture. <laughs> Blink to it twice if you need help, George. <laughs> Um, I think one thing that's really interesting from like book to film is that like off the bat in the film we get this violent dust storm that like we see straight away that's what separated like Mark from his crew like they've taken off they think he's dead whereas the book depicts Mark just after he's left stranded and we don't actually know how he was left stranded and um, we don't you know we don't know that until probably midway through the film when they do the flashback I think like yeah. the film does a better job. I, I definitely think a film's depiction of it is a lot better, even though it's basically the same content. Having it that you get to meet the team, their witty banter beforehand and afterwards, it kind of gives like that quick comparison between having people and then not having anyone. And like it makes you care a bit for the, the crew first. And also it divides up the it just being Mark a bit, a bit more, which is nice. Mm. Yeah, I think it's like, it's fast paced, it's fun, it's exciting. It's like, it's everything you want when you first turn on like a sci-fi film. And like, I think like the whole like linear nature of it and like the chronological nature of it just makes more sense in the film. Whereas like in the book, you're, you're, you're meeting these characters, but you've not really got that connection because you've not seen them like lose their teammate and like have that think he's dead whereas like like as you say in the film you you get to know them more yeah absolutely like i think the cast is really well done especially for the team like i think uh i don't know if it's just because i've watched the film first then read the book and i could just picture each of the characters as those people but i think it, it's just I, I love them all in their own way like they're all so unique and just that I, I guess some criticism could be give, given for some of them that they're kind of just copies of Mark to an extent in terms of their wit and stuff. Like every character is a wittier point. I'm like, okay, can someone not be funny? <laughs> and then Jessica Stone comes on. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, I feel like in the book, we don't really get to know um, Captain Lewis that much, like personality-wise. Like she's she's only really seen when she's like talking to her husband over that video connection. I feel like in the film, we get to know her more. Um, and just like, we get, we, she's not, she's not just like kind of a, a comedian in that she listens to disco, like that kind of thing. I feel like we get to know her as a person and her, her struggles because she was the captain that left him because they thought he was dead, but he's not dead. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's, I've personally felt like, the book portrayed uh, Commander Lewis's guilt better than mm. the film did. Because I don't know, it's like whenever the guilt of uh, Lewis came up in the film, it just kind of felt quite forced. And like the whole ending of it making Herbie the one save Mark rather than the licensed professional with that equipment, I just felt it kind of made it a bit too much of a Hollywood ending. And really lessened the impact of that ending for me, especially when everything more or less up to that point had been really realistic and well done. And like just making that change kind of took away from the ending, I felt. Mm, I 100% agree. I think, I think in a way it was like her 
her going to capture him was her attempt to like redeem herself and kind of like lessen the guilt but I re- I, I think the ending is of the film is probably the worst bit of the film I think it should be Beth that grabs like Mark because he's the one that's qualified and I also feel like in the book it's much more tense like I was on the edge of my seat reading it in the on the, in the book because you're like is he going to be able to grab him is are they going to be able to make it in time and get him back but in the film he iron mans and it's just completely there's no tension at all and it just kind of makes it more funny and it, I don't know I don't enjoy it yeah like the Iron Man bit is a bit which is like him making that joke is in the book and it's mm-hmm. funny, but then the film takes it a step too far and makes it kind of ridiculous and cheesy. It's basically just like a ribbon dance in space and it's just, it's not good. But one bit like, like what you mentioned about the book being really intense, like it's got one of those bits which I really love and it is recurring throughout the book. And it's like the moments which are, uh, not in anyone's, not looking at anyone, but like looking at like the uh, mechanics and issues Mark is about to come across. And like, it's, I think they're just really scary and out of his control. Like, oh God, what is about to happen? Like, first it was the airlock and how it was shifting centimeter by centimeter. And it's just describing something which seems quite mundane. And then by the time it gets to the end of the passage, you're like, oh no. And then it's like the the food packages and how they moved around and then the ramp into the crater. And like these are all horrible issues, but then you manage to recover. And then it's the top on the rocket. That's like the last one. I'm like, okay, he's already survived three of these things. This is like a fourth one. Is he actually gonna make it out of this one? It's just really stressful. That's what it is. It's so stressful. And he just handles it like a champ. I also like just speaking on the ending. Um, so obviously the book ends after Mark's rescued, and then it just ends. But like in the movie, it jumps ahead to Mark on Earth starting a new teaching job, um, and talking about his time on Mars. I think I prefer the movie. I think like if the book felt quite abrupt to me. I feel like by ending it with him in the future, we get to kind of know what Mark's like gone on with his life and how he's doing, and like. I like how we kind of get to see how the other characters are doing as well. Like Beck and Johansson have a baby and like Martinez is going back into space. It just, I feel like it just covers all the bases and kind of rounds it off nicely. I'm of two minds. Like one, I enjoy learning more about what he's up to and what everyone else is up to. But at the same point, I quite like how it's, we only know Mark's story while he's the Martian. Like that's what the Martian is. We only know him when he's to do with Mars. Mm. Yeah, that's true. But then I guess by ending it with like that closure, it doesn't just become about Mark and as a Martian, it just becomes this like idea of like these space people and what happens after, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I wonder like um, what would have happened if Mark did die, like how that would have been kind of a different ending. And if, if like, Andy had wrote it, well, he's going to die. And then what, are we going to have like a whole media storm or like, what are we going to end it if he just dies? I felt like if they had killed him off, that would have been a really shitty way to end. I will, it would end something which I overall think is quite a wholesome experience. Yes, he gets trapped on a planet for multiple years by himself, driven to borderline insanity. Uh, 
tons of money wasted on him. But like overall, I think the film is quite wholesome and has a good message behind it. Like the whole idea of everyone coming together to save this one person mm. and like multiple countries just united in just this one common goal. It doesn't really directly benefit anyone apart from the common knowledge of science and this one dude on a planet by himself. And it's like, it's just a very wholesome message to portray and just having him get killed would be like really depressing <laughs> yeah it, it would give no hope for anyone who ever wanted to travel to mars in terms of casting i think one of the one of my favorite actors is sean bean as mitch i think he's such a good casting like he's all about like this idea of like morality of rationality he like emphasizes like empathizes with all the the kind of the situation just such a good like character yeah i agree he's like one of those perfect examples of going against the stereotype of a scientist being a cold calculating logical person who goes by the numbers like him and uh teddy i think a two perfect antithesis to each other in how like they both have valid points one's taking it from the logical point of view one's taking it from the moral point of view and like you can't say either of them is wrong and that's the thing i really love about the Buffy film as well it's like there isn't really a bad guy to this it's just people trying to solve a really shitty situation mm. yeah i mean if we're talking morality versus like rationality We've got to speak of like Rich Pernell versus Iris too. Oh yeah, that, that's one of like the best arguments. But then at the same time, I'm like, eh, it's kind of an obvious who you pick in that scenario. Why we like? It's the whole. So are we saving the one man? Or are we gonna like in put this whole team at risk? And I think the whole thing in the book is that they never tell or give any decisions to the team themselves. They always, the NASA scientists are very the ones that want to control the whole situation, the whole media outlook. I think if they, the, the minute they found that Mark was alive, they should have told the NASA, the, the, his team. And then the minute they had that situation of, do we send up those extra supplies or do we send up the team to go and save him? Well, why don't you ask the team? Like, they're the ones that are going to be going up. I partially agree. I don't agree with the first, but I think they were right to wait to tell them until they had established at least some form of communication with Mark. Mm. And then, but then as soon as that happened, they should have opened the communications and then mm. kept it open and let them make an informed decision about it. Yeah. It's such a high risk scenario the using the ro rocket too, like to try and just smash it into Mars. Like that would not have worked oh. in the slightest. No. And I just like, would you would you want the opportunity to actually save him like take it don't just think oh well we're just going to take up more supplies and hope we can get to him another way when there's no other way like he will find a way to survive if you use that team to go and get him and you also cannot say no to donald glover like that whole <laughs> that whole scene where they like describe how it's going to be done is so well done i think like just the whole using like i'm teddy head of nasa and he's like cool <laughs> and just like takes his pen and just as i such a good one way of explaining it to dumb pieces of shit like me and then also just a fun scene which isn't bogged down with numbers and maths mm. 
fun fact about Donald Glover in the film, when you're first introduced to his character and he falls over, that was actually an accident. Oh uh, then he, just, he, just, he just got up and continued acting and actually made it into the final cut. Oh, I love <laughs> I mean, that. I just, that's so good. Like, Donald Glover, like, I want him in more films. Like, he was really good in Solo, I thought. Yeah, yeah, he's such a good actor. <laughs> they were like, this is just amazing. We're just going to keep your accidental fall into this film. <laughs> That's a good fact. Um, yeah, I think I, I agree in that. I think, like, the, the film does a really good job of kind of highlighting the whole, like, communications and debates between NASA and Mark and NASA and, the like, Mark's team. And I think, like, it does it just it just does a really good job of explaining the whole like impossible way that they're gonna go up and get him an impossible way of like like rig a solution to make like to drag him in it's just it's re- and doing the mini models it's just so good oh i love that bit where it's they're trying to figure out how they can make the uh the mav lighter Yes. <laughs> when it was the light, so it's the Mars descent vehicle. Sorry, and it's like, how do we make this light? And then it's just like them get with the the, the little model removing everything, and then they remove the head, and it's just Vincent Cooper like, what? There's nothing left. He can't survive in that. It's so good. <laughs> it's it was so good. Um, also, this film makes space travel look really fun, but also really dangerous. Like, I kind of like the idea of how it it makes it look like it's worth doing. I feel like it kind of like Mark's whole journey is like, well, this, this was good. Like, he now knows what Mars is like. But also, like, all these smart people were improvising what to do. So it's like so incredibly dangerous. Yeah, I think it does such a good job of highlighting the dangers, but also how exciting that kind of job can be. Like, I do computer science. I admit I'm a bit of a nerd in that way. But like, <laughs> I thought the computing bits of that were really cool and how like, oh, I mean, sure, it's, I'm pretty sure it's not realistic. I don't know. But like, if we just change a few of these ASCII values and do this, we can then communicate. And I'm like, it's cool. Like they're doing loads of like, basically guerrilla hacking and shit try, to try and fix it. Like, it's so cool seeing them you get to see everyone in their element, like mm-hmm. top of their fields, doing really in- innovative stuff, which like solves, like even if it isn't directly solving Mark's problem, it's furthering the fields of all these things. It's kind of, I feel like a big argument against this film has always been, why are they spending so much money on Mark Watney to get him back? But then it's like the whole development of, science and into country communications like i thought it was done really well in that whole segment of the book where he's just talking about uh everyone will work together to save that one person trapped under a building and stuff like that i thought that was really well done yeah i agree i think um a big thing in both book and film is the whole idea of like saving one man life versus is it worth the money or the technology or the time really because they're they're working at it constantly to hit deadlines but also like the media I feel like the, the idea of how the media is under that they're, they're under so much scrutiny from the media and it could easily turn into a PR problem and like you you get to see like Teddy having to like think about what he's going to say about what the new situation is and I think that's such a it's a bit like um uh Gone Girl like the whole idea of like the media kind of 
being an extra character. Like the media is that omnipresent force, always gunning for NASA to try and be like, oh, we'll we'll catch them out there, catch them out here. And it's kind of like, it's almost to an extent more scary than what Mark's going through because that's just a planet, I mean, I say just a planet trying to kill him, but like that whole, he he has a logical issue to face and he he has the means to an extent of how to solve them, but then they're always, people interpret things different ways. It's not a science, an exact science to media. And I think that's really interesting. I love the bit in, the, it's in, I think it's actually in the book and film, but it's done certainly in the film because it's only a, a visual thing in the book, but like how Teddy has the red and blue folders, like yeah. the blue for if it goes well, the red if it goes bad. And I thought it's like, shows he's director of NASA for a reason. He knows yeah. to have everything prepared. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, such, it's such a good moment in the in both book and film. Who little details in the book and film that I thought was really interesting when they differed was firstly in the book uh, Mark has a master's in botany and a master's in engineering which it helps explain why he that the engineering bit like it mentions it when it's the conversation with Beck with his sister and it like, explains how he's able to build all this stuff and how he's able to keep going and just scrounge by and like obviously the botany for like growing the potatoes and stuff, which fun fact were actual potatoes. They were actual potatoes. They grew actual potatoes for that film. It's like the whole bit in Interstellar where they grew all the wheat. Matt Damon must have ate so many potatoes. He's probably I, I like mean, he's banned potatoes from his life now. But yeah, like no one can ban potatoes from their life. <laughs> Mark Watney definitely did. Uh, so in the book, he had a master's in botany and engineering. But in the film, we only see that he has a PhD in botany. Like that's what they show in his little folder thing. And I feel like that kind of takes away a bit of Mark's character. And he just comes across as this uber genius who can do everything because he's a scientist. Like mm-hmm. It would have might be nice to explain that. Oh, yeah, he has a degree in engineering. That's how he's able to do all this, rather than just making him a one-man building machine. And like the whole bit in the book about him having no fucking clue about hacking the computers, he just he's just like, I just let Johansson do that. I don't understand any of this. And I think that's just really great. Yeah, I, I also that. really like when he's um he like the NASA scientists are like, we've got these expert botanists telling you like how to do this, and he's like. Don't they know I have, I have a PhD in botany? I know I know how many potatoes to make. And he says, "I'm the greatest botanist on this planet." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, when he when he says that because um, he's planted potatoes in Mars, he's technically colonized Mars. <laughs> it's just uh, so funny. And then the whole bit about like him being a space pirate due to certain technicalities, and it's just like that's it's i think it's quite a realistic joke. It's like that's where your mind would kind of wander to if you were that smart and you were by yourself with nothing else to do yeah i i definitely agree that they should they should have added it in the film because it's just part of his character another bit which is isn't as big but i thought was a really nice and kind of positive bit of the book was how mark actually managed to navigate when he was in the rover because he used the 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 star like Phobos or whatever it was, yeah, to try and do it. But they never mention that in the film, and it's like that's another way of him using like some of the oldest tricks in the book 
to survive while using the most high-tech equipment the world has to offer. I think that's just a really nice contrast. Mm, I definitely think like the book and sci-fi books in general you get those little tidbits that don't like they're not huge like if, if it's not in the film like it's not going to make a difference but it's so nice to see when you you're, you're like falling for the character and you're like oh that's so cool and then it's not in the in the film i think that is to an extent why you can you're able to appreciate a lot more details in a book than you are a film because when you're watching a film like sure they may there are brilliant like set designers and costume designers who uh, who think about all these characters and understand them and are able to add little hints. But with everything happening, chances are you're going to miss some of those details. Mm. But when you're reading the book, you're reading every line, or at least I try to read every line. I might <laughs> skip the occasional one. I don't know. But like, you're reading all the details that the author is writing for you and you understand what's happening. So like to that extent, I think you're able to get a better picture from a book than you are a motion picture yeah i think i think for the little details that like you can't visually express the book works a lot better but then i do think sometimes in this case in terms of like um the romance between beck and can't remember her name johansson yeah, um, I think that was visually done better in the film than in the book because you visually see just like the touching and like when she kisses his helmet before like they're about to blow the airlock door. Whereas in the book, I, I feel like they don't really give that much detail to it in the like in the writing. So I feel like in the opposite way, it works better for the romance, but the scientific way, it works better in the book. I'm pretty sure we've discussed this a bit in the past about the whole some things can't be described with words and it's literally just chemistry between actors and that's why certain bits work better. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's like just less like in your face when it's done visually through the chemistry of the actors and like they're touching and their eyes and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Fun fact, do you remember the hit film Prometheus from Ridley no. Scott? <laughs> no. Amazing film except it wasn't an amazing film. Turns out uh, much of the research and development into that was used on this film, specifically the spacesuits, which I for one think the spacesuits in this film are some of the best spacesuits put to space in cinema. <laughs> I agree. That makes sense. <laughs> that definitely <clears throat> makes sense. Yeah, this, I, I really wanna, want one of those spacesuits. They're really cool. Probably horrifically uncomfortable extremely warm one of the most satisfying bits in the film was when uh oh i forget the captain's name but when the captain uh jessica chastain is uh going out to try and save mark and she just slides down the, the ladder and just lands straight in his space and then puts the little hat on and it's just like so smooth like she's a trained professional at this I just love watching them like float as well. Like when Beck's on the outside of like the the space and he's just like floating along. And like even when like Mark is just sat on Mars in his spacesuit, just like taking in the red planet, like it's just so cool. I, I this reminded me of a bit in when I first watched the film that got me really stressed because like Beck when he was going along the outside of the spaceship, like the uh, the Hermes I was like 
is he going to die? I don't know what's about to happen to this guy because he's just yeah. going around and it's like this really intense bit about this guy who we haven't really spent that much time with. I'm like, is Sebastian Stan going to smoke it? I, I don't know what's about to happen. I was really stressed and I was like, yeah. then he survived. And, and I, then- I thought that was a bit weird that they spent so much time on him struggling to get around the ship. But then again, I guess it's kind of giving a focus to other members of the crew. Mm-hmm. But it's that kind of detracts from the whole Mark situation where he's fertling around Mars right now. Yeah, it does. Like, because because she because um, Johansson kisses him as well <clears> before he leaves. It's like, oh, well, he's exactly, gonna die, yeah. and no one else has died in the film thus far. You're like, surely someone's going to die, and then it's like, but, no, he was just having a fun adventure on the side of the spaceship. That's another really interesting part about the film because like a lot of huge blockbuster films, someone dies in it, like, mm. uh, like. The crucial moment where it seems all is lost. The yeah. only person who actually dies in the film is Mark's potatoes. <laughs> they get consumed and then, and then he loses them all. Yeah, I feel like that, especially because when you're reading the book as well, I feel like with sci-fi in general, you expect death. So then that, when there's that, that's such that build-up and that tension at the end, and it's like, well, Mark, he's surely not going to survive. And he just survives. And you're like, okay. This is just a miracle. No one's going to die in this film slash book. Yes, it's quite a nice subversion of the whole sci-fi genre to an extent. Like everyone is always, someone is always going to die in some freak accident or uh, there's like a traitor on board the ship. That happened in Moonfall. The whole idea of like there being a traitor or there's a, there's like a disaster that occurs at the last moment or there's like someone has to sacrifice their life. That's been done a lot. So having it so that no one dies and it's just a everyone lives happily ever after is quite nice. Yeah, I think it links to your point previously about there really not being any villain in the film as well. I guess you could call Mars the villain, but like it's quite nice to just have like no villain, no death. A bunch of people trying really hard to survive and accomplish something and then they actually survive and have accomplished something. Yeah, like, oh, we love hopeful films. No, we don't. Give me uh, a bleak, dark film like Sonic Two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bets now, Tails is gonna die. Yeah, I've not seen the first one, and I will never watch the first one. I'm gonna write a book about Sonic. And they're going to make us cover it for the podcast because without them, no. it would be an adaptation. No. You can't. St- what, what we do need to cover at some point is an episode where it's a film to book adaptation, but it's like one of those book, just like when people have like written out the plot of the film into a book, like a full on novel. One, like Once Upon a Hollywood. <clears throat> Or something like that, but like, it happens a lot of like Star Wars and like science fiction films, stuff like that. So like, I think that'd be a really interesting flip flop episode to do. Yeah, I agree. Add it to the list, which never ends. <laughs> also, Why are there so many book to film adaptations, huh? They just keep coming, and you know what's more coming? More Jane Austen adaptations. <laughs> <laughs> For our audio listeners, which is all of you, Lucy just cackled and put her hands together in a witch-like format. (laughs) Random fact. So Ridley Scott 
claimed that Matt Damon's solo scenes were shot for five weeks straight, after which Damon was relieved from the schedule. So because of that, Matt Damon didn't meet most of his co-stars until the cast was reunited to promote the film, which I think is really cool. Like, I feel like it adds to that, like, isolation and kind of, like, loneliness that Matt goes through. I think that's a really clever decision from Ridley Scott as a director and that he's he's realizing okay if it's just him by himself he's going to be able to get into the character more he's going to be by himself it's just going to be him it's going to be difficult sure it's going to be isolating that is exactly what this character is he's isolated Mm. and it's a difficult scenario and I think that's a really good scenario and it kind of leaned into that whole idea of going method but then like the nice way of going method without uh, sending dead rats to your co-stars like Jared Leto in uh, the suicide in the Suicide Squad. Oh, I'm I'm going to see Morbius on Friday, and I'm I'm scared of oh. Jared Leto. But like just the whole that that spectrum. You're seeing Morbius. I'm seeing Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> we have great film taste. I promise. I have a massive poster of Sonic 2 on my wall and I cannot wait to see it again when I go back to my uni flat. I also have The Green Knight, which I'm insanely jealous of. I also have Boss Baby 2, which you're also extremely jealous of. No! (laughs) How? How do you like good films but also bad ones? It's like a spectrum. I will either like really good films or god awful film like horror films i thought i'm on the same spectrum as a horror film i can either be really good or i will put you into a cataclysmic brain shutdown also another fact um so the meeting um to propose the rich panel um maneuver idea whatever you want to call it um is called the project elrond after the council of elrond in the lord of the rings um, but when this name is like questioned, the first character to explain it is Henderson, who is played by Sean Bean. And Sean Bean played Boromir in Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and he was also present during the council. Oh, Lord of the Rings. That is that a perhaps a book or film? <laughs> that is both book and film. Oh, uh-huh. ha Perhaps that may appear in our distant future. <laughs> That's a really cool fact. Of of the Rings. I've tried to read that series so many times and I cannot get into it. It, it burns my retinas. It's just too detailed. <laughs> he describes stuff in too much detail and I zone out. Oh, and I fall asleep. I love that little little nod. It's like, yeah, he's Sean Bean. Have yeah. at it. Only, only the true Lord of the Rings fans will get this reference, but I am one exactly. of them. Oh, I'm going to give you a two two facts one i kind of remember the other i have written down so i'll do the one i wrote down first uh andy weir actually wrote his own computer ga- computer program using real earth and mars alignment data to determine the best theoretical date for the aries 3 mission to launch and i thought like that and like all the other details is such a good highlight of how much effort he put into this to make it seem as realistic as possible for those real science nerds testament to andy Ware because like his the scientific accuracy of it and like the research that he must have done like just that research alone is insane like that dedication and it, i feel like it paid off like 
when people say The Martian, it's like, oh yeah, that really cool, like scientific sci-fi book slash film. I 100% think that The Martian is definitely up there with other sci-fi greats and is going to become like a classic sci-fi film in the future. In terms of both book and film, it is like one of those sci-fi greats now. Mm, I think that's why like Ridley Scott probably wanted to direct it because like Ridley Scott is like a legend, like alien, like amazing. And I feel like he probably saw the potential in the book and how like successful and how detailed and scientific the book was he was like i can adapt this to make a really good film and he has and then he traded in mars for italians or quote-unquote italians in house of gucci oh my god did ridley scott do house of gucci ridley scott did uh uh the last duel and then house of gucci he hasn't had a good time of i don't think so He's not doing good. What was yeah, Are you okay, Ridley Scott? What's happening? Oh no! Oh. How to go How from far? Alien and Hannibal to House of Gucci? The other fun fact I had, I kind of remember, and I'll probably end up butchering this, but the uh, when uh, the, the Ares team start doing the Richard Pennell maneuver. And they send the message to the NASA control room saying, Richard Pennell is a steely-eyed missile man. <laughs> steely-eyed missile man refers to a, I don't remember his name, but it was one of the people who was in charge of the control room for like one of the Apollo missions in which the rocket had been struck by lightning twice. Oh my God. And like he, he came up with a solution like that, apparently. And like it's like, okay, turn that thing off and turn that other thing like that. And it actually help mitigate some of the issues and I thought that's a nice nod like there's lots of nice little nods in the film yeah I like that that's a good reference (laughs) so book or film this is probably one of the more difficult ones I've had to choose between because both have benefits and drawbacks like some ways the films improve on what the book's done but in other ways the book's still done some stuff better and I think I don't know uh, <laughs> What's the oh choice going to be? I think I'm going to shit. I feel like we we I feel like we've come to it episode 10 and George can't make a decision. I I could give the cop out and just say the one I saw did first which was the film. No, you can't cop out. Which is your true I do love the visuals and the special effects of the film and the whole back and forth. I think it's it's better edited and laid out than the book. But then the book does the characters better. I'm going to say the film. (gasps) Good choice, good choice. I think I agree. I feel like this one and Perks, I think it was, where I was just so conflicted because, like, some like the book does some things good, but the film also does things good. And then, like, there's some things I don't like about the book, but the film does it better. But I think for me, like, Ridley Scott is one of the best directors, barring House of Gucci. <laughs> like, Alien, Hannibal, and I feel, I feel like, for me, it's Gladiator. 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 Oh, my God. Yeah, I feel I feel like he 
he perfectly takes this really really good novel and brings to the screen what people want like they don't want all of the scientific jargon so he cuts that down he brings the thrilling nature of it he, he brings the best scenes like incredible special effects really good character development uh, yeah, I just, I feel like the film is just a really good representation of the heart of the book, so I'm going to go film. Not to just double back on everything, I'm not going to change my vote, but it just reminds me of one scene that is done a lot better in the film than it is in the book, and mm. it's when the uh, airlock breaks off. Oh, I think that's done so well in the film, because like the book kind of over-nerds it and is how it's him trying to spread some weird gel over his completely smashed fire so like the whole thing I have a crack and I can hear like the air hissing out and it's just so intense it's like oh <clears throat> so good yeah I feel like the book like um because I think it comes at the end of the chapter for the book as well so it's very like oh holy shit and then but like the film just like picks it with so much drama and it's just like oh shit and I think once again that brings us to the end of the page and to the credits. Thank you so much for listening. Let us know your thoughts on The Martian and other Ridley Scott films, maybe not House of Gucci, <laughs> on our Twitter at From Page to Pick and our Instagram at From Page to Picture. Join us next time as we visit a true classic with Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird and its 1963 adaptation from Robert Mulligan. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.